the series is Built Different that we kicked off last week, looking into the life of Caleb, who God described as a servant that had a different spirit. The characteristics he possessed and displayed were just different than the other people around him. When we first met him, he had been selected with 11 other men to spy out the promised land, the land that God had promised to give his people after he had liberated them from Egyptian bondage. And our next encounter with Caleb happens here towards the end of chapter 13 when the spies have returned and they're giving their report of the land. So Numbers chapter 13, starting in verse 25, God's word reads, At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with them said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. Our subject for tonight comes in the form of a question that I want to ask you, which is quite simply this. What do you see? What do you see? I've always found it interesting how people can look at the same exact thing, but at times see completely different images or objects. And so I wanted you to see this in action. And so I've got some pictures that I'm going to throw up on the screen. And as those pictures come up, without you putting much time or effort or thought into it, I want to know exactly what it is that you see. So I'm going to ask you, just give me a quick hand raise. Let me know which one you see. So the first picture, let's see it. Tell me, is this cat going upstairs or downstairs? Who says up? Who says down? All right, it's actually going downstairs. Next picture is a painting. How many of you see just a random object at the bottom that seems out of place? How many of you see a human skull? It's a human skull. Go me to the next picture. Take a look at these spirals. How many of you say that they're moving? How many of you say they're stationary? They're actually stationary. Go to the next picture. How many of you think this girl is underwater? How many of you think she's un, uh, above water? She's actually above water. Go to the next picture. <laughs> Black and blue, white and gold. <laughs> hey, this is no lie. I'm serious. This was, I was not anticipating this happening. I had this discussion with... Pastor Matt, our student pastor in the back today, and I told him the first time I ever saw this picture, I saw black and blue. 
The next time somebody showed it to me, I saw white and gold. And since that time, I've never seen anything other than white and gold until right now. It is black and blue as all get out on that screen. So who knows what the real answer is? I can't give you a definitive answer. All right. So to prove my point, every single one of us were looking at the same images, but we differed in what we were seeing. Those variations happened because of differences in our peripheral vision, even differences in the way in which we perceive color and how it reflects off of light. It's even caused by the different ways in which our brains receive and process information. This team of 12 men had all gone into the land together as one unit. They all saw the same landscape, the same topography, the same fruitfulness of the land. They all saw the same people who lived there, their size and their physicality. They all saw the same cities, their walls and their gates and their demographics, and the majority census were the same. The land is good, the people are huge, the cities are strong, and there is no way that we're going to be able to possess it. But Caleb, for some reason, even though he had seen the same as everybody else, at the same time saw something different. Servants of God who are built different see different. And I want to help you see what he saw. More so than that, I want to help you see how he came to see it in that way. So as we work through this together, we're going to look at two different groups. We've got this group that I'm calling the ten. In other words, the ten spies that gave a bad report. Caleb gave a good report, and Joshua gave a good report as well. I don't want to leave Joshua out, even though we're focusing on Caleb specifically, because he had faith just like Caleb did, that God could give them the land that he promised to give them. So we're going to, for reference sake, refer to the ten unfaithfulness just as that, the ten. So we've got the ten and what they saw, and then we've got Caleb and what he saw. So let's look at the ten for a second. The ten saw promising land. If you go back and look in verses 26 and 27, as they're giving their report, this is the report they give. They came to Moses and Aaron, to all the congregation, the people of Israel in the wilderness. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation, showed them the fruit of the land. They told them, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So when the spies returned and they gave the report of the land in which they had scouted out, they admitted that it was a promising-looking place, a paradise in many ways, especially in comparison to where they had just came from, which was Egyptian bondage, which they didn't know the freedom to go and roam throughout the land as freely as they wanted to. They didn't have the availability to go and pick their own fruit. They were given what they were told by the Egyptian people that were enslaving them. And so this place looked like a paradise in a lot of ways in comparison to where they had came from. They say it flows with milk and honey. And on top of that, look at the size of these grapes. So you'd have to go back in chapter 13 where we were last week a little bit to see that when they came to the valley of Eshcol, they cut down a single cluster of grapes. And that cluster of grapes was so big that it took two grown men with a pole stuck between their shoulders to carry the cluster of grapes around. Now, I don't know where you buy your fruit at. We're typically Aldi people for the most part, but I ain't never walked up in Aldi and seen a cluster of grapes so big 
that I had to get another full-grown man to grab the other side of the bag so that we could get it to the car and load it up towards the house. That's how big this cluster of grapes was. They're like, this land flows with milk and honey. Look at this stuff right here. Look at the size of this grape. Like, I don't know if the cluster was just heavy. I don't know if the grape was like the size of a basketball or what the deal was, but obviously it was impressive in its size and in its bountifulness. So as they took observation of what the land had to offer, they saw that it was promising. But watch this. Caleb didn't just see promising land. Caleb saw promised land. There's a difference. See, for Caleb, it was so much more than just the fruitfulness of that place, as well as the idealness of its location. For Caleb, it was God's promise to them as his people becoming realized. So check it out. Caleb didn't just see milk. He saw mercy. Caleb didn't just see honey. He saw hope. Caleb didn't just see grapes. He saw grace. Caleb didn't just see land. He saw love. As he walked through that place with his fellow Israelites, and he looked around at all the things that they were taking in, his heart began to be flooded Number one, with the mercy that God had to liberate him and his people from bondage. Number two, with the hope that he had restored to them when they were a people that had none. Number three, the grace that he extended to them all throughout their wilderness wanderings when time and time again they would rebel against God and completely disregard his statutes and his commands. And number four, the love that God had lavished on him that he would be willing to give them such a bountiful gift that they did not deserve. This place was a blessing from God who is the giver of every good and perfect gift. But you know what the shocking thing is to me? is that it only took 40 days for 10 of those men to lose sight of that. 40 days. That's all it took for 10 other men to completely lose sight of the blessings and the promises that God was bringing into their life. What do you see when you look around at the landscape of your life? What do you see? Every one of us would have to admit, if we diagnose and assess the landscape of our own lives, every single one of us would have to admit that we have it really good. Now, hear me out. That does not mean that it's been without hardship. That does not mean that your life has not been without trial, that it hasn't been without tragedy, that it's been devoid of adversity or pain. I'm not saying that in any way, form, or fashion. The Israelites knew this as well as anyone. They knew pain. They knew hurt, they knew loss, they knew tragedy, they knew suffering, they knew oppression as well as any other people group on the face of the earth. And I'm not saying that your life has been devoid of those things by saying that it is exceedingly good, but our lives are full of blessing and promise. If we will all but admit it and look around and take notice of it, look around and see your health. Look around and see the car that you got in that brought you here, the clothes on your body, the shoes on your feet. 
The roof over your head, the food that's in your pantry, the money that is in your account, the job that you have, the work, the friends that are by your side, the bed where you sleep, and the shower where you wash. Look around and see your God who never leaves you, who has given you an inheritance, who will never forsake you, who upholds you, who fights for you, who guides you, who is for you and goes before you, who credits you righteousness, who prepares a place for you, who fills you with the power of His Spirit. I've got blessings from God. I've got promises of God, my life's pretty good. What do you see? It's the last time you took around and decided to take a look at the blessings and the promises that God has brought into your life. Let us not be like 10 of those flies who so quickly lost sight of God's blessing and promise. Servants of God who are built different the interesting thing about them, they don't just see what appears promising, but what is actually promised. Take this one thing with you tonight, and that's fine. If you don't take anything else out of this, that's fine, but take this. They see the land that's promised, but they don't forget the hand that provided I feel like so many of us as servants of God, we look around and we take for granted the blessing and the promise because we forgot all about the hand that provided. What else did the ten see? The second thing they saw was a giant enemy. You go back and look at verse 28. Their report continues and they said, however... So just on the hills of talking about how good the land looks, how promising it appears, it's met with a however. Never a good situation when you're trying to enter into promises that God has brought into your life. Just go. No howevers, no buts, just go. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And the Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea. And you skip on down to the latter half of verse 31. They say, we're not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in here are great height. In other words, they're giants. They're huge. So the most notably included and stressed detail of the spies' report was the giant people who occupied the land. They were the descendants of Anak, which would have been formidable opponents. Are y'all familiar with Goliath? You know that dude David chopped down? He was a descendant of Anak. So they were big, large, huge people. And I'm not trying to minimize their size because they were gigantic Especially in comparison to God's people, the Israelites, who we know throughout Scripture were small, looked down upon, insignificant people that nobody in the world really had much of a regard for. So as they looked at these people, absolutely, they were huge. And the ten became filled with fear at the thought of battling these people in order to take possession of the land that God had promised to give them. They said, we look like grasshoppers in comparison to them. 
And I would imagine the follow-up thought was, if we go into this land to try and take it from these people, then they're going to do to us like they would with grasshoppers. It's just going to be a matter of them picking up their feet and stomping us into the mud and into absolute oblivion. They saw a giant enemy that was unbeatable in battle. But Caleb saw a giant extraction. His report was different. He says, let us go up at once and occupy it. You know what it means to occupy? It can be a war term, which means to go in and seize control of an area or to remove one presence and replace it with another. So Caleb says, let us go up at once and occupy it. In other words, let's seize control of what God has put in front of us. Let's go in, let's grab these giants by the neck and drag them out and help them relocate and then we're going to move in because this is the land that God has promised to give us. Sure, Caleb saw the enemy. Absolutely, he knew how big they were. But he saw on top of that their ability through God to extract these people. So over here we have 10 who are cowering in fear and then on this side we have Caleb who's craving a fight. I told you the dude was built different. I mean, you have to put yourself in the situation. These are 10 grown men that were selected because they were supposed to be chiefs of the entire nation of Israel. So it's not like these guys were slouches. It's not like these guys were pansies. It's not like these guys weren't warriors that were afraid of a fight, and yet they're over here cowering in fear. Caleb's over here built different, craving a fight. Let's go in. Let's occupy. Let's take it. And here's... Well, I really want to teach you some things tonight, so stay locked in with me on this part. And God, please, help me not to mess this up. They say seeing is believing. I don't believe that for a moment. Not one second. The Israelites had seen God's liberation. They had seen God's mighty hand do wonders and signs in the midst of Pharaoh to bring them out of Egyptian bondage. They had seen God part the Red Sea so that they could pass through on dry land. They had seen God's presence descend on the Mount Sinai when he handed down the Ten Commandments. They had seen God provide bread from heaven when they were wallowing around starving with nothing to eat. And even in the midst of all that, now that they're on the edge of the promised land, they still didn't believe that God could lead them into the land in order to possess it. On top of that, Jesus himself, when he walked on this earth, performing signs and miracles and wonders, people still did not believe that he was the Son of God and chose to crucify him instead. So I would amend that to say this, perceiving is believing. And this is where I need you to hear me out because you need to know that perspective is persuasive. Perspective is persuasive. That's why the devil loves to play with it. He'll try to take your perspective and replace what is reality with an image that is an illusion. He played with the perspective of these ten spies, and you know what they saw? Giants. But Caleb didn't roll like that. Caleb didn't allow the enemy to play with his perspective of who he saw God was and what he believed God would indeed do. He saw with and held on to a different perspective. So where the ten saw that they looked like grasshoppers in comparison to their enemy, Caleb saw that their enemy looked like grasshoppers in comparison to God. And I believe some of you are standing up against some different giants in your own life. 
whether that be a porn addiction, whether it be an alcoholic temptation, whether it be an eating disorder, whether it be anxiety or depression or suicidal thoughts, feelings of inadequacy or a bottomed out self-worth. I'm not telling you that those things aren't big. Caleb never said at any given moment that these guys weren't big. He never went against the report that says that they were massive. He agreed with that wholeheartedly. So as you look at the giants that you're facing in your life, the things that you see as unbeatable foes, and you stare those things down, I'm not minimizing that in any way whatsoever. I'm not standing here tonight and telling you that's a small, insignificant thing because I know it's huge, I know it's big, I know it's intimidating, and I'm telling you, stop letting the devil play with your perspective. And let me give you something that will help you out in your battle. You do realize that giants are only as big as the thing that they're being compared to. These guys walked into the land and they said, these guys are huge. Huge in comparison to who? Them. Caleb walked into the land and in comparison to God say, I don't see the problem. Let's go in and occupy the land that he has promised. I don't care how big they are. They're not as big as my God who has promised to give me this land as an inheritance for me and my people. Caleb knew that God specialized in giant extraction. And listen to me. He can extract your addiction. He can extract your temptation. He can extract your disorder. He can extract your anxiety. He can extract your depression. He can extract your feelings of inadequacy because he is a giant remover and he does so for the lives of those who faithfully believe that he is who he says he is and he will do what he says what he will do so stand before your giant and introduce him to your God and say be gone from this place don't let the enemy don't let the enemy continue to occupy areas in your life that God has already promised to give you Ten saw a giant enemy. Caleb saw an opportunity to witness some giant extraction. Get them out of the way. One more thing that they saw that was differing. The ten saw unconquerable cities. Their report was that the cities are fortified and very large. In other words, their walls are high and their gates are strong. It would be pointless for us to go in and attack a group of people that were so heavily armored and fortified, especially with limited resources from traveling. It's not like the nation of Israel had a whole armory built up. Remember, they had just come out of Egyptian bondage and oppression. They didn't have anything other than the shoes on their feet and the clothes on their back as God led them out of that place, wandering around through the wilderness you know, I don't imagine there was like a guns and ammo pawn shop for them to stop by on their way to the promised land to pick up some weapons so they could be ready to do battle when God got them to the land. So everything logistically made sense to, at this point, give up, to not go any farther because they saw barriers that couldn't be overcome, walls that could not be brought down, cities that were completely unconquerable. So the logical thing to do is to do what? To just go no further. To be satisfied with wilderness wanderings instead of possessing promise. And so the report that they gave to the people was just that. You think we've experienced hardship in the wilderness? It's about to get a lot rougher if we go into this place. No reason for us to persist 
any further, but where the sin, where the ten saw unconquerable cities, Caleb saw unstoppable cause. Once again, his report is different because what he saw was different. So on the heels of them giving this report, Caleb says, we are what? Well able to overcome it. Once again, he saw the same barriers. He saw the same walls. He saw the same gates. He saw the same fortresses as these ten other guys did. How was he able to say we are well able to overcome it when these guys are saying we need to sit down and hide and be quiet and hope that they don't come out here and bury us? How was he able to say we were well able to overcome it? Because he knew God had an unstoppable cause, which was to make his glory and his power and his presence known among the nations through his people. Does that sound like a familiar mission? Caleb says we are well able to overcome it because our God has an unstoppable cause in place. That is to make his glory and his power and his presence known to the nations through his people. Let me ask you again, does that sound like a familiar mission? Caleb knew that God's plan and his purpose could not be stopped by bricks and mortar or gates and forts. And I want us to see how this has gospel implications tonight. I wonder how many times as believers... How many times as believers we allow ourselves to be halted in our conquest of advancing the gospel by a barrier that we come up against? Whether it be physical, whether it be mental, whether it be social, whether it be financial, or whether it be relational, we come up against that barrier and then we just decide the best move from here on out is to just sit down and give up and surrender. And how many times do we allow our conquest of the nations around us to be halted in progressing the gospel because we come up against a barrier of some form or fashion? Listen to me. Humanity and the devil himself have tried for centuries to stomp out the gospel, but it can't be stopped. And if God can free his people from bondage, if he can part the Red Sea, if he can back up the Jordan River, rain bread from heaven, pour water from a rock, and pull down the walls of Jericho, then I promise he can bring you through, over, or around any barrier that you encounter in progressing with the gospel. I hope y'all are hearing this stuff tonight. Servants who are built different, even though they see impassable or unconquerable barriers, believe in the name and the power of God to execute his plan and his purpose regardless. Regardless. So what do you see? Do you see things as just being good and promising? Or do you see the actual blessing and promises of God realized in your life? Do you see an enemy that's unbeatable and can't be driven out? Or do you see an opportunity to occupy new areas through God's power at work in your life? What do you see? Do you see barriers in your life that can't be overcome? Or do you see a cause that God has in place through his plans and his purposes in your life that can't be stopped? One more thing. When the world takes a peek inside of here, do they see someone who is like the ten? 
Or do they see someone who's built different than the people around them? What do they see? What are we allowing them to see? It's a choice each and every one of us make. Are you going to be like the ten? Cower in fear. Hide from the fight. Be comfortable in the wilderness. Are we going to be built different like Caleb? And stand bold and courageous. Trust God to fight the battles. Move out of the wilderness and into promise. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.